Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. everyone. My name is Nikki Young, and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Straight out of the gate, I need to let you know that the case I'm talking about tonight is particularly horrific. It involves sexual assault and very graphic violence. It's not something you want to listen to if you're in a bad place, if there are little ones around, or if you find that kind of content to be very triggering. This story was sent to me by a listener, and I'm so glad I wrote it down because I can no longer find that initial message. But to the person who sent me this case, big thank you. As soon as I read a little bit into it, I knew it was one that I wanted to talk about because of the absolute rage that I felt. We're talking about the murder of Lily. She was just 14 years old when her battered, naked body was found in the sand dunes of Stockton Beach, New South Wales, on the east coast of Australia. She had been sexually assaulted and then killed in the most horrific way, and then her body was just left there in the sand. And even with a wave of people admitting to participating in Lily's assault, justice would not be served. In telling this story, it's a reminder that not everyone who commits evil acts, even after admission, will ever be punished because the justice system in most of the world is just simply broken. And so I share what happened to Lily because it should never be forgotten. She was a beautiful young woman who was plucked from this world by monsters that still walk amongst us today. So let's jump right in, and we're going to start with the most important person in this story, the victim. Lily was actually born Lee Renee Mears to her mother Robin Lynn Mounsell and her father Robert William Mears on July 24th, 1975 in New South Wales, Australia. The area was known to be very industrial, unemployment was high, and the average yearly family income was very low. Her new name, Lily, would come after her parents divorced when she was just seven years old, and her mother began to date a new man with the last name Lee. Her mother and this man went on to have a baby together, a little sister for Lee named Jessie, and Lee wanted to have the same last name as her, so she took her mother's boyfriend's last name. This is really unconventional, especially because she chose to keep the last name even after her mother and this boyfriend split. She just loved the idea of having this double name, and you've got to admit, the name Lily is really cute. 
Eventually, her mother would go on to marry another man by the name of Brad Shearman, who would become her stepfather. So, at the time that all of this happened, in November of 1989, she lived with her mother, her little sister Jessie, and her stepfather Brad in Fern Bay. She attended Newcastle High School as an 8th grader, and according to her grandmother, even though she had been to several different schools over the years, due to the family's frequent moving, she still very much loved attending school. She also loved animals and wanted to be a veterinarian when she grew up. And it always crushes me a bit when I hear of the hopes and aspirations that these young victims had because their life was cut short. And who knows what amazing things they could have accomplished if they had only been given the chance to live. When she wasn't studying, Lee spent a ton of her time at her grandmother's house as the pair were very close. Actually, it's said that she spent the majority of her weekends there and any school holidays that she had. She also loved hanging out with her cousin Tracy, who also happened to be her best friend. The pair would go see movies together, they would go roller skating, and just hang out as young girls do. Lily had dark, wavy, shoulder-length hair and tons of freckles. By all accounts, she was your typical teenage girl who just really wanted to fit in with everyone else. She wanted people to like her, and she made many of the same missteps that we all did as teenagers. She was still very much finding her way. On November 3rd, 1989, a boy named Jason Robertson, who was a fellow student at Newcastle High School, although a grade or two above Lee, was celebrating his 16th birthday with a huge party. There would be drugs, there would be alcohol, and there would be practically no adult supervision. It was a recipe for disaster. The party was to be held at the North Stockton Surf Club, which rented out its space for various events. Reports about how many teenagers were at the party vary. I've seen some reports that say that there were around 60 in attendance, with some reports as high as 100 teenagers. Either way, there were a lot of teens. The majority were Jason Robertson's age, around 16 years old. However, there were younger folks likely in attendance, and even reports of a couple of 10-year-olds. There was also a local band called Cardinal Sin playing that night, so it was going to be a huge event, and it was rumored that Lee had a big crush on one of the band members. It was a beautiful, warm summer night, and Lee desperately wanted to go to this party. Now, Lee had been given a written invitation to go to the party, and she had even got permission from her mother to attend. Even though her mother was hesitant to say yes, especially because Lee was only 14 years old, Lee really wanted to go, and she begged her mother. This would be her first ever teen party that she was invited to, and so she reassured her mom that there would be adult supervision at the party, which was somewhat true. And so, she was allowed to go to the party. However, her mother set a rule that she had to be home by 11 p.m. that night. Fair enough. What Lee's mother didn't know was that the two adult chaperones were Matthew Webster, who was nicknamed Fat Matt because of his large stature. He was 18 years old. The other one was Guy Wilson, who was 19 years old. As the only people who were over 18 years old in attendance, they were there to act as bouncers. And we all know how responsible most 18 and 19-year-olds are. But 
Beyond that, Matthew Webster and Guy Wilson were absolute trash human beings. Lee's mother dropped her off at the local pizza place so that she could meet up with her friends and then they would walk over to the party together. They had a quick bite to eat and then they arrived at the party around 7.30 p.m. Matthew Webster was manning the door and stamped their hands with a green marker as they entered the venue. Inside, the band was playing and everyone seemed to be having a decent time. It looked like a typical teenage party. The venue did not allow for alcohol, so there wasn't any of that inside, not visibly anyway, but there were plenty of drugs and alcohol outside as the party seemed to spill to the beach and the bushes near the building. Around 8.30 p.m., police showed up to ensure that the party was under control, and they reported it to be in good order. However, it's rumored that the partygoers were tipped off that the police were going to be showing up, so they all hid any drugs or alcohol that they had in the bushes before the police arrived. Police didn't stay long, and as soon as they left, the drinking, the drugs, the partying, it all continued. Lee and her minor friends were given a bottle of Jim Beam whiskey, which they mixed with Coca-Cola. Reportedly, there was a ton of booze that was purchased for the minors at the party, with the goal of getting them heavily intoxicated. And it worked. Lee was not a drinker. This was actually one of her first times ever drinking alcohol, so she became intoxicated very quickly. According to a later report, Matthew Webster approached another person at the party and said, Hey dude, we're gonna get Lee pissed and all go through her. Suggesting that they were going to get her drunk and then a group of boys would take the opportunity to assault her. The first boy who would take advantage of this situation was a 15-year-old boy who has not been named due to being a minor at the time, and I kind of hate this fact. 15-year-old boys make mistakes, but this was not a mistake. This was a calculated act. This boy was quoted to have said, I'm going to go and bleep Lee. The pair were seen walking towards the beach, and witnesses said that Lee was so intoxicated that at one point, the boy almost had to carry her because she couldn't stand up on her own two feet. In New South Wales, Australia, the age of consent is 16 years old. Anyone under 16 can't consent to intimate behavior, even if they agree. So she was a minor in this sense, and even if she was of age, she was so very clearly drunk that she couldn't consent. Now we're about to really get into things here. So again, I just want to give you a heads up that the following events are really distressing and we'll be talking about sexual assault. At the beach, as planned, Lee was sexually assaulted by this unnamed 15-year-old boy. When she stumbled back towards the party from the beach, she was bleeding between her legs. She was very visibly upset. She was crying, almost hysterical, and she was looking for help. A few people at the party tried to console her, and she told them flat out that she had been raped by this unnamed boy. There were several other boys at the party that Lee reported her assault to, but they didn't know what to do with the information. They said that they were too young, and they were also too intoxicated, and so they mostly ignored her. 
Word spread fast about the assault, including to two of the chaperones at the party, Matthew Webster and Guy Wilson. And while these two adults at the party should have immediately helped Lee and called the police, they did something horrific. It's reported that 18-year-old Matthew Webster told another party-goer, she's a bit of a slut and why don't all of us have a go, referring to 14-year-old Lee, who had just been assaulted. Witnesses see 19-year-old Guy Wilson walk up to Lee, who is still upset and crying, and he puts his arm around her. He wasn't there to try to console her, though, or to help her in any way. He asks if he can have a go with her. She says no and pushes him away from her, and in turn, he pours his beer all over her. Then he pushes her to the ground. Several other boys, as many as 10 different boys, including Matthew Webster, walk over to Lee, who is now on the floor, and they begin to yell profanities at her, calling her a slut. They pour more beer on her, they spit on her, and they kick her. This went on for a good five minutes, with these guys taking every opportunity to humiliate her. People watching nearby reportedly heard the group of boys yelling things like, Take that, you slut. And this is all happening while the party continues. And the really sick part is, nobody comes to help Lee. Okay, fine. They didn't want the group of guys to then turn on them and to begin to assault them. But beyond that, no one even called the police or her parents to come pick her up. This could have stopped right here. But no one did anything except stand by and watch. Eventually, Lee was able to stand up and get away, and she stumbles away from the group of guys who are still laughing at her. So she picks up an empty beer bottle off the floor, and she throws it in their direction. However, she misses hitting any of them. Guy Wilson, in turn, threw back another empty beer bottle, which hits Lee's leg. At this point, Lee is still severely intoxicated. She's been raped. She's been assaulted. She's covered in beer and spit, and she's bleeding. She's last seen leaving the clubhouse crying and vomiting from intoxication and walking back towards the beach at around 10.30 p.m. And it would be the last time that she's seen alive. Her stepfather shows up at the party about 20 minutes later at 10.30 p.m. to pick Lee up and bring her home. He looks for her in the clubhouse, but she's not there. He tries asking some of the partygoers where Lee is, but the scene is an absolute mess. All of these young teens are so intoxicated, half-dressed, and just right out of her, no one can give him a coherent answer as to where she might be. At this point, he's irritated, and he assumes that maybe she went to her friend's house for the evening, so he returns home without her. But early the following morning, Lee is still not home. Now her parents are half angry, thinking she's being an irresponsible teen, and half worried, just not knowing where she is. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. 
That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough, especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. At around 9.30 a.m. the following morning, Lee's stepfather, along with a group of several other friends, form a search party and they go back to the area of the clubhouse to look for her. At this point, they think maybe she's passed out on the beach, so they start there. One of the searchers spots what he thinks is a dummy or a mannequin lying in the sand dunes. But when they get closer, they see that it is Lee's lifeless body. She is lying on her back with her legs apart. She was completely naked except for her socks and her shoes. Her shorts had been pulled down to her ankles, with the rest of her clothing, including her bra and her shirt, found near her body, completely twisted and full of alcohol. There was a large 12-pound rock beside her that was covered in blood. Her face is nearly unrecognizable. The invitation to the party was found still in her pocket shorts. The thought of finding a 14-year-old girl in this manner, just left there, displayed in such a humiliating way. Only a monster could do such a thing to another human being. Police were called to the scene, where they taped it off to collect evidence. Lee's body was in terrible condition. Her skull was completely caved in, which was evidently done using the large rock that was found near her body. It was clear that she had been struck in the head with the rock several times. There were also marks on her neck that showed that she had been choked, though it was the rock that killed her, not the choking. Additionally, she had asphyxial hemorrhages and multiple injuries to the jaw, ribs, liver, and right kidney. Her blood alcohol reading was 0.128, and if you're not familiar with blood alcohol levels, this amount of alcohol would have caused significant impairment of motor coordination and loss of good judgment, according to the University of Notre Dame. 
During the autopsy, it was also noted that Lee had suffered from a very violent sexual assault, and she was likely a virgin prior to that night. She had deep bruising to the left wall of her vagina, extensive bruising to her hymen, and two tears, one 20 millimeters long to her vulva. It was speculated that much of her internal injuries to her genitals were due to being assaulted with an inflexible object, something like a beer bottle. There was no semen found in or on her body. The investigation started right away with interviewing everyone from the party the night before, which was really complicated because we're talking about several dozen teenagers who were drunk, high, or both. Through speaking to partygoers, they discovered that this birthday party was a wild event, not at all subdued like they had initially been told. Police had to get statements from more than 40 people and cross-check stories, which led to them pretty quickly finding three main suspects, Matthew Webster, Guy Wilson, and the unnamed 15-year-old boy who had allegedly sexually assaulted Lee on the beach earlier that evening. The good news here is that there were a lot of witnesses from that night. This is also really the messed up part because the entire thing could have been prevented altogether. Some of the witnesses told the police of seeing Lee stumbling back from the beach, claiming that she had been sexually assaulted earlier in the night. Some said they weren't really sure if they believed her story. At the time, and in that area of the town, the general consensus was that a young woman who was intoxicated and had a reputation deserved or asked for whatever happened to them. Still, police knew that it had to be looked at closer, even if the incident wasn't related to the murder at all. Now this 15-year-old unnamed boy admitted to having sex with Lee, but he said that she had initiated it and it was consensual. However, there were witnesses at the party who saw that Lee was too intoxicated to walk on her own, and there were witnesses who said that she confided in them that she was raped that evening. Take the fact that Lee was severely intoxicated off the table, and she was still a minor. Yes, this 15-year-old boy was also a minor. However, in general, when two minors under the age of consent engage in sexual consent with one another, they are both open to statutory rape charges. It doesn't usually happen, but they can face charges. So in my opinion, he could take that consensual story and shove it up his ass. Guy Wilson, the 19-year-old supposed chaperone, initially denied doing anything at all or really having any interaction with Lee, but he would change his story, probably realizing that with all of the witnesses at the party, information was bound to leak out. So in another interview, he admitted to pouring beer on her, spitting on her, and throwing an empty beer bottle at her. Matthew Webster, the other chaperone who was 18 years old at the time, also confessed to pouring his beer on Lee, but he completely denied having any sexual contact with her or being involved in her murder. His story was that after the party, he decided to go to the pub and have some pizza. A few days later, he changed his story about the pub and instead said that after the party, he went for a walk by himself. All three suspects were asked for blood samples, and this is very early on when DNA technology is in its infancy, so even with the blood samples, they wouldn't be able to match anything other than having the same blood type as the killer. 
The suspects were also asked to hand over the clothing that they were wearing the night of the party. Matthew Webster decided to give them a different set of clothing than the ones that he was actually wearing. There was no physical evidence to connect any of the three suspects to Lily's murder. And what's sad is there seemed to be almost a deafening silence amongst the rest of the teens who had attended the party and their parents. People did not want to talk or get involved for fear of being maybe a next victim. And to me, it's sickening that so many people could see such brutality and not say anything. Some parents wouldn't allow their children to even speak to the police at all. There was a general distrust of the police, and they didn't want their kids getting into any legal trouble. At one point, there were even rumors that it was actually Lee's stepfather who had murdered her and that they had this ongoing secret love affair, which was ludicrous and backed up by zero evidence. But without people coming forward with factual statements, the rumor mill just went wild. There were talks about a serial killer in the area and gangs who were targeting young women walking alone. However, there were no real connections to be made from these rumors. On November 15th, 1989, a little over a week since Lee's murder, both Matthew Webster and Guy Wilson were charged with assault related to throwing their beer on her, spitting on her, and kicking her. The unnamed 15-year-old boy was charged with sexual assault due to having sex with a minor. The police hoped that these charges might encourage witnesses to come forward with any new information with regards to Lee's murder. However, it didn't happen. The 15-year-old was released into the custody of his parents. They had no reason to be able to hold him any further, and Matthew and Guy were kept in jail overnight. However, they were bailed out the following morning. Still, Matthew Webster pled guilty to the assault, as well as for supplying cannabis to a minor. At that time, he still refuted any claims that he had killed Lee, and he was released on bail while awaiting a sentence. Guy Wilson did not enter a plea for his assault charge, and he was sentenced to six months in jail. The 15-year-old pleaded not guilty to sexual assault for having sex with a minor, but he was convicted anyway. However, he would go on to appeal his conviction, saying that it was consensual, and the judge at the time agreed. This is despite all of the witness testimony to how Lee could barely walk or stand because she was so intoxicated. He was given community service as a punishment, 100 days. What's really disgusting is when this judge overturned the conviction of sexual assault, ruling it as consensual, people got really nasty with the way that they began to talk about Lee. Even though Lee was a murder victim who was killed in a really violent way and left battered and naked on the beach, like trash, people continued to talk badly about her. They blamed her for these three individuals' convictions. They called her a good time girl or the town bike. The way that things began to be talked about pointed to this murder being just a teen party that got out of hand. And I cannot imagine how her parents must have felt with all of the gossip and the slander that was being done. And as you can imagine, the frustration, hurt, and anger did come out in an incident. On January 31st, there was an altercation between Lee's stepfather Brad and Guy Wilson in public. 
Reportedly, Brad punched Guy in the head three times after Guy allegedly told him that he would get Lee's younger sister next. Brad Shearman was charged and pled guilty to assault, but I honestly can't say that my husband would not do the exact same thing in that situation. While Lee's assault had been addressed, though her rape was dismissed, police still did not have enough evidence to charge anyone with her murder. For months, no one was speaking. In February of the following year, police even went as far as to bring Matthew and the 15-year-old into the station and have them sit in the same interview room to be questioned about Lee's murder. They hoped that maybe they would say something to each other that might be incriminating, but it didn't happen. However, later that evening, during his third and final interview with investigators, Matthew Webster finally cracked. He told police, well, I did it, but I just can't believe it happened. It's just unbelievable. In his statement, he said, quote, I went to look for my beers and I saw Lily sitting down on the grass. My beers weren't there. Somebody must have pinched them. And then I walked up to Lily and she carried on with her normal shit and I tried to get onto her. Then we walked to the bushes and I pulled her clothes off and I put my shorts down and I put my finger in her P word. I thought I was right for a root, and then she started pushing me away saying, don't. I lost my temper, and I did what I did. The police asked him, can you tell us what you mean by did what you did? And Matthew responded, she was punching and pushing, and I grabbed her by the throat, and she said, don't, and I choked her a bit. She stopped punching, and I grabbed the rock and killed her. So... Matthew said he killed Lee because he was afraid that she would tell on him, and he was arrested and charged with Lee's murder. But in looking at the evidence and comparing it with his statement, it's very clear that he left out a lot of details. He left out a lot of information. Lee was sexually assaulted with an object, something similar to the shape of a beer bottle but he never mentions anything about this. Even at trial, there is a lot of information that is left out and a lot of suggestions that simply weren't true. Matthew was painted as this gentle giant who simply had a bit too much to drink that night and killed Lee out of fear of getting in trouble. Lee, on the other hand, was painted as a promiscuous girl who went to this party with the intention of getting drunk and hooking up with boys. Very little was talked about with regards to the abuse and the violence that Lee was subjected to that evening at the hands of several disgusting boys and young men, including at least 10 who poured beer on her, spit on her, kicked her, and who would never face charges. In the end, Matthew Webster would be sentenced to 20 years in prison, but he would be out within 14 years. Guy Wilson was charged for his part in the assault, and he was sentenced to just six months in jail. The 15-year-old boy was let off with only 100 hours of community service because his sexual assault charges were overturned. Even with all of the witnesses at the party who saw Lee being hurt, who saw Lee bleeding from between her legs, who saw her very intoxicated, no one has ever been charged with Lee's rape. 
And the truth of what really happened to her and all of the people who participated, whether knowingly or unknowingly by not stopping it, calling her parents or calling the police, has never been released. During a report on Radio National, Lee's mother said that when she asked a detective leading the investigation why others were not being charged, he asked her if she, quote-unquote, knew how much it costs to run an investigation, which is disgusting, if true. This is another case of a really botched police investigation. It's been speculated that none of the DNA samples taken from the suspects were ever tested, and neither were any of the clothing worn by the suspects that evening. They pretty much relied on a confession, which gave Matthew Webster the opportunity to spin his own narrative of what really happened that evening. It also means that we'll never know if anyone else was involved with her death because we only have his version of events. There has been a lot of speculation that other people were involved, including Guy Wilson. Matthew Webster stated that he walked to the beach with Lee, though according to police reports, four witnesses said that she walked to the beach alone and two witnesses stated that they saw Webster and Wilson leave the surf club together. The autopsy report also showed that there were numerous blows to Lee's head that all came from multiple directions and were probably inflicted with different items, indicating the possibility of more than one perpetrator. In court, Judge Moore would say, quote, The genital injuries to Lee, which I shall not, for reasons of delicacy and distress, recount here, show that there was very severe, violent, and resisted invasion of her body, which was performed by persons who have not been detected. Over the years, there were people, including Lee's mother and other organizations, including Police Minister Paul Whelan, who pushed for an independent investigation, particularly due to the shoddy police work and the fact that no one had ever been charged for Lee's rape. But in the end, nothing further was ever done, and no one else has ever been charged. Since Lee's assault and murder, people have moved on and moved away from the area, but there's still chatter and whispers about what really happened that fateful night. In the end, it appears most people just want to forget about it, and they're wanting to uphold this sort of code of silence rather than pursuing it any further. This is why I wanted to talk about Lily's story. No one deserves what happened to her, whether she was a virgin or not, whether she drank at the party willingly or was pressured to drink. She was a 14-year-old girl. She was the 14-year-old girl with the freckles who loved animals and dreamed of saving them one day. Until the night she went to that party and was treated as less than a human being. It's another reminder to talk to your kids about consent and the importance of looking out for one another to keep each other safe. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm here on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up, like, and subscribe. 
If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on all of the cases that I cover, make sure you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash serialnapper. I post two additional Patreon-only episodes over there each month. So if you're interested, go check it out. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.